Hello there, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. Chris. Hello. I'm here with Chris today and I want to start by fessing up to a boob, a previous episode's boob. (laughs) Is there any better kind? A terrible boob. I was listening back to our Masquerade episode about the search for the golden hair and the puzzle book by Kit Williams. And by the way, thank you for all your lovely feedback. We've had loads of great feedback on that episode, so I'm glad you enjoyed them. But I did make a boob, which was that I said rabbits and hares were an example of convergent evolution where quite different species of animals grow similar characteristics as a result of it being evolutionary beneficial. Rabbits and hares are the same family of animal. They're legomorphs. What I was thinking of is things like gerboas, which is a different kind of like an African rodent that have very long, um, strong, springy legs in a similar way to rabbits and hares, but are in fact a completely different species. Is it clear? As clear as everything can be. As clear as everything can be. So I was a boob. Of course, rabbits and hares are closely related. Look at them. (laughs) What an idiot. So just, you know, don't go around saying that fact to people and thinking it makes you look clever because all it does is make you a fool, just as I was. Okay, I'm glad I've got that off my chest. What do you think about that, Chris? Well, I think it's uh, honourable to admit to one's mistakes. Yeah, very boobish of me. Right, on to today's topic instead. Okay. No animals today for us. Today we will discuss an unlawful killing Mm. and then we will discuss lots of lawful killings. The best kind. Yeah, maybe. So the first story is the story of Frederick Seekings, um, and he is notable for being the last man hanged in Cambridgeshire. Ah, is that whom Seekings Close Where Your Mum Lives is named after? I don't think so. You probably wouldn't name a close after a uh, criminal, would you? A criminal, no. And I think that that Seekings is a different one because in the Overflow Cemetery, where Gwen Ravarat is buried near us, there's some Seekings in there. So I think there was a local family called Seekings, not Frederick Seekings murderer. Great. Great. Um, Don't go doxing Ruth's mum. No, please no. Now, Frederick Seekings was executed in Cambridge on the 4th of November 1913 at the Cambridge County Jail, which was by Castle Hill. Did you say he was the last person, sorry, hanged in Cambridge? The last person to be hanged in Cambridgeshire. Oh, well, that's quite civilised, isn't it? Because when when was hanging... Not till the 60s. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, great. So the judiciary of Cambridge were... Well, maybe there just weren't very many murders going on. I suppose that's also possible, isn't it? Yeah. I did see some statistic, actually, that Cambridge was considered one of the safest places to live in the UK. So Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's true now. I don't know about... 50 years ago, but yes, it's never really been a hotbed of crime, has it? No. Sorry, I'm shaking my head. That's terrible. Sleepy, sleepy and boring, Cambridge. (laughs) Safe, lovely and safe. Yes, you're right, though. It's a big gap between Frederick Seeking's hanging and the outlawing of hanging or, or, you know, Mm. uh, capital punishment being abolished in the UK. We can hear about Frederick Seeking's crime, but I know Chris has got some secret drinks in his bag. (laughs) Well, uh, they're not secret as such. I just thought it might be nicest to show them to you now rather than uh, previously i mean don't 
build your expectations too high. They're sky high. I went to... (laughs) Absolutely sky high. I went to a local beer shop yesterday because I thought it would be nice to buy some beers for this and I knew a little bit about what we were talking about, Mm. principally hangings. Hangings, yes. And I thought in this modern, increasingly pricey and increasingly (laughs) preposterously named world of craft beer, I must be able to find some beer that has some relationship to hanging. You would have thought so, wouldn't you? You would have thought so. Yeah, I couldn't. You couldn't. So the best I could come up with, well, I've got got a couple and I'll I'll bring them out over the course of things. Show the first. I'll show the first now. Well, let's start, let's start one off. Maybe even for the world of craft beer, hanging is too miserable a experience to uh, transform into beer form. Maybe. Well, I went with this one as my first choice. Which... I don't. I can see pastels. Yeah, I mean, it looks pastel, doesn't it? It's uh, it's from the Flock Brewery. They're based mm. in Canterbury, not okay. that far away. Uh, and it's called Motion. And really, the only reason I picked it was because it has death on the uh, on the label. <laughs> Christ! Uh, but death appears to be. Well, forcing a plane into his mouth. I mean, is this a nine eleven reference? Oh. Is it? Is he smoking the plane like a cigar? It looks a bit like that. It does, doesn't it? What, yeah. what's, or is he like a like a childish death, and he's got a toy plane, and he's just like tumty tum. Maybe the plane is smoking though. Oh, so I think he's that's going down, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. I saw that price tag as well. Crikey! That's, exactly, and this is what this is not that strong. Oh, well, it's six percent, but six percent on a Sunday afternoon. What could be better? <laughs> uh, but anyway, yes, this is. Do you a, know what uh, sort of beer it is? It's a West Coast IPA. Okay, well, pour some out. Pour out. Shall I? Oh no, I'll wait till your sounds have stopped. Thank you. Oh, it's pale in colour, quite golden. I'll have a sip. Oh, nice. Oh yeah, that tastes pretty much as you'd expect it would, wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's got a nice Name smell. strength. Yeah, it's yeah. yeah so I say it's, it's slightly stronger, isn't it, than what you mm. normally associate with just a straight kind of IPA? But yeah, very pleasant. Thanks, Chris. On to the story of Frederick Seekings, thirty-nine, a labourer. He lived in the area of Brampton in Huntingdonshire. Oh yeah. He'd been living with a woman named Martha Beebe for a number of years. She was forty-five. Like Iron Beebe. Uh, <laughs> it's spelled slightly differently to Iron Beebe, one of our favourite strongmen, and Beebe was using. The surname Seekings a lot of the time, but they weren't actually married. Right. In fact, she was married to someone else. Oh, a so, baby, um, presumably. Nefariously, or just as a kind of, didn't really matter. I guess they just were like, well, the first marriage must have fallen apart. Seekings and Martha must just have thought, what does it matter? Yeah, I suppose so. Who's going to check? No, no attempt at deception. I don't know. It seems that Seekings and BB were known to like a drink. <laughs> yes. And on the night of the fateful crime, Seekings was in a pub called the Bell Inn okay. in Brampton. Right. <clears throat> how, was, how big? Brampton's small, right? I think so. I don't really know yeah. very much about it. Uh, okay. This was the 28th of July, 1913. So he was drinking in a pub. It was some sort of a, a festivity day, I think. There was some sort of fun festivities going right. on because Seekins had been looking forward to his trip there. And he wasn't very pleased when BB turned up later that evening. Oh. He was up for a night of carousing. Right, and not with BB. Well, apparently not. Apparently he told her beforehand that he didn't want to be fetched from the pub by a bloody woman. Those were his words. <laughs> so she should have sent her ex-husband... And he could have done it. <laughs> Maybe. Or just left Seekings at the pub. I guess that's what he wanted, ideally. So the two did drink together for a while and left at around 10pm. They were seen arguing as they walked away from the pub. Witnesses at the pub, including friends of the pair and the landlady's son, who was there too, they saw that as they went, arguing along, BB tumbled into a ditch by the path. 
Um, and Sea King soon followed, tumbled in after. It sounds like an episode of, uh, I was going to say Emmerdale or something. I don't suppose anyone's getting so drunk they fall in a ditch in Emmerdale, do they? But, um... The only episode I've ever seen of Emmerdale was the one um, where there was a plane crash. Oh, when they wiped out Emmerdale Farm. Yeah, because my dad's girlfriend at the time, Sarah, really liked Emmerdale and we knew nothing of Emmerdale, but right. she was staying over and she was like, "This we, ha- we, we have, have to watch, watch it. Emmerdale It's going to be a momentous tonight. moment in TV exactly. history. And I just remember that there were loads of dead sheep just with their legs sticking up in the air <laughs> at the end of the episode a smoking rural <laughs> landscape and then all these dead sheep just legs poked up directly into wow. the air that's had a formative effect i know that's all i can remember about it to this day that's all i know about emmerdale right and that was that they started anew with new well that, i think because that was before it was emmerdale farm wasn't it and then they were like oh nobody really cares about all of this farming stuff hence the sheep i guess everyone still loves the and then it just became emmerdale Mm, yes, I suppose so. Anyway, I suppose what I was trying to say is it sounds a little like a modern soap opera, doesn't it? People tumbling into ditches because oh, they're so drunk. Oh, drunk and fighting in the pub. Yeah, Maybe I it's more so. EastEnders, rural EastEnders. <laughs> yeah. So the group of onlookers went to help them out, <laughs> dragged them out of the ditch, and the landlady's son helped Sea Kings to sort of carry BB along. So she was like one oh, arm yeah. over yeah, each yeah. one's shoulder. Classic. The classic moving a drunk. She was the drunker of the two. And the landlady's son later said he was keen to get them away from the pub without too much trouble or noise. Yeah. So he was like, I'll just help them along the path, yeah. get them away from the old bell inn. Yeah. We don't want a black mark on our name with the local coppers. No, licensing will be uh, down on you like a ton of bricks. Exactly. They? So he went about a mile down the road with them and then turned back towards the bell inn. He thought, I've, I've got them <laughs> got, far got them enough out of away. The jurisdiction. <laughs> The next witness report comes from around 10.30 or 11. There were a pair of couples also coming from the pub. They'd been at the festivities too. And they heard some strange noises. Now, when I was writing this, I was writing a pair of couples. Yeah. And that is correct, but it sounds odd. You know, I almost pulled you up on it. And then I thought, well, firstly, that would be dickish. And secondly, yes. (laughs) It's not like like you to correct me on my grammar or pronunciation. Uh, But after thinking about it, I went, oh, yeah, I suppose that is right. It sounds like a swingers party. They were coming along the road and they heard some noises. So the two men went to investigate using the light from a bicycle lamp and they saw a horrible sight. Uh, I think I already have guessed the crime for which uh, old matey's going to get done for. Seekings and BB were lying on the grass by the side of the road. BB's throat was cut almost ear from ear. Christ. Two great gashes across her windpipe. Um, Seekings lay next to her. One hand was under her body and the other over the body. BB was clearly dead, while Seekings, quite surprisingly, just seemed, seemed to be asleep. To, <laughs> just seemed to be asleep. <laughs> He'd just gone to sleep, oh but quite quickly because they'd heard the noises and raced over to to see what had happened. So he's just passed out, hasn't he? Yeah. Although I occasionally have dreams where. <laughs> traumatic things happen to me and my response in my dream seems to be just to try and lie down and close my eyes and pretend it's not happening so um, has it happened actually in life though no not in life i can't say what would happen in life but um in my dreams that's what i do so maybe he's approached he's um he's just thought i'll just close my eyes sleeping defense yeah interesting okay so they called for some assistance they called for the police and then an angry and aggressive sea kings was woken up (laughs) he didn't want to be awake he was just having a lovely drunk's nap. Um, so a drunk's he was nap. cross. A nap. <laughs> oh, a drunk's nap. The a nap of a drunk. Nap. Yes. They found a knife covered in blood in his pocket. Well. And his hands were also quite covered in blood. Mm, quite this, incriminating. This is the literally red handed, right? Being caught <laughs> literally red handed. His story, though, was that they had fought 
And Bibi had grabbed his knife from him and slashed her own throat. Mm, seems unlikely, doesn't it? Both sides. As twice. Well. Yeah, like older Peasenhall. Exactly. The unlikelihood of slashing your own yeah. throat twice, I think, comes into play here again. The police were understandably sceptical about this claim. You can understand why. Yes. Their report stated that the wounds could not have been self-inflicted, even if for some outlandish reason Bibi had decided to slash her own throat. And furthermore, that Seeking's attempts to cover up his crime showed that he knew what he had done mm, yeah. and he knew he was in the wrong. Yeah, sure. I can sure. agree with that. It went to trial, no problem. They weren't bereft of evidence. They had enough evidence. And at trial, Seeking's defence, they sought to have his charge diminished from murder to manslaughter. It was his defence that he was blind drunk. That was exactly his defence. He <laughs> said, you know, I wasn't really fully aware of what I was doing because I was so drunk. And he said, you know, they did say there were witnesses that had said that he was very drunk and all mm. this. In response to this defence, should the charge be reduced, the police report was referred to again. And it showed that indeed Seekings had been rather drunk. Right. However, he was able to get into the police cart without assistance. The police cart. The police cart, yeah. like a wagon. Yeah. An old school wagon. I guess I was going to say, did they have science at the time to be able to say exactly how drunk someone was? But presumably that wasn't needed until... I don't Drink think, driving was a thing, And I right? think even then it took a long time yeah. for the science to come. You mean like a breathalyzer? Yeah, yeah. Or you know, testing something, the something blood. that measured exactly how much alcohol was in the yeah. blood. But I presumably... imagine that's going to be 80s or something. Yeah, maybe. That 60s, late? 70s. When did they start doing those adverts about not drinking drunk? Before our life. Not drinking drunk, not driving drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Were there, wasn't there one that had a jaunty tune, but then at the end someone was... In a horrifying Yeah, that accident. was um, In the Summertime by Mungo yes, Jerry. Yes, that's right. Because it has the line, have a drink, have a drive in it. So I guess, what, that's a record from the 60s, isn't it? So if it wasn't socially unacceptable at that point. <laughs> Although I don't know actually the context of the song. No, I just remember there being a really, yeah. like a jaunty advert. In the summertime. Then, oh no, someone's dead in a horrifying smash. Yeah. However, just as a side note, because I feel like, well, maybe he did get into the cart unassisted, but they did say, admittedly, it was on the second attempt, as on the first <laughs> attempt to get in, he did fall over. <laughs> so I think he probably was quite drunk. Oh, it's just funny, isn't it, that a, a drunk murderer is actually, we're quite amused by it, aren't we? I know, we? it's awful. And also, I, I'm not, I don't think being drunk is also an excuse to reduce your... I think you've still done a murder. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you should in any way be able to claim that that's uh, reduced capacity. So the charge of murder... If, stood, if anything, makes it harder. If anything, you're more of an idiot, <laughs> aren't you? Because the thing is, I suppose if you do a murder in... So most murders are just idiots doing one stupid thing, yeah. aren't they? They're most not, of them aren't premeditated. They're not serial killers planning out these complex plans. Most things is like somebody just does one stupid thing and then... Mm. But if you're like, well, the risk is any time I get drunk, I might do a murder, <laughs> then all the more reason to put you in prison. <laughs> or in this case, worse. So the charge of murder stood and Seekings was found to be guilty and sentenced to death with no recommendation to mercy. The uh, the judge put his black canky on his head. Is that what they do? I think they, when, yeah, when they would, um, I suppose that's sentencing, isn't it? When they, when they sentence you what, to hang The judge it. would walk over and drop a handkerchief onto your head. No, no, no didn't the judge put a hanky on his own head when sentencing someone to, uh, to hang? I feel like quite theatrical. Well, I mean, it is, isn't it? Yeah. The theatre of And then did the they law. put a different hanky, depending? So red hanky for life in prison. Yeah. Green hanky, just let you off with a warning. Yeah, well, I think maybe green is open prison. Maybe. I'm going to find out more about this hanky thing. Okay. I'll update us in the future it sounds intriguing i can't really imagine it because i feel like judges are very serious <laughs> you think the act of putting a hanky on your head foolish. is foolish <laughs> incredibly foolish so that's seekings so 
I started doing some reading. This is the end of the story, well, Seeking Sang. Sort of, yes. But then I thought, who has done this hanging? Who does the hanging? Who's the hangman? Right. And in this case, it was a man called Thomas Pierpoint. Uh-huh. And Pierpoint came from uh, a family of hangmen. Oh, and I family thought, business. Yeah, I know. And I thought, let's read a bit about this because it's quite interesting. So he was hung. When did hanged. I say? Hanged. He was hanged and hung. Uh, Not like me to correct your grammar. <laughs> no, on uh, 4th of November 1913. And he was executed by Thomas Pierpoint, yeah. who was a member of the Pierpoint family of executioners. And when you say family, is it like mum, dad, sister, brother, everyone uh, an executioner? Thomas Pierpoint's brother, Henry, was also an executioner. Right. And Henry's son, Thomas's nephew, was Albert Pierpoint, probably the most famous British hangman of all time. Wow. I know. I suppose you didn't have hang women, did you? Well, women did apply, apparently. Oh, really? But, um, um, you know, the everyday sexism of the time... Well, I don't know, because I did read a thing... I read a lot about the old uh, career of being an executioner, and I specifically read something that said women applied. Right. But then in all the lists of executioners... Not a single female name. I didn't see a single female name, so presumably, as you say, maybe they could apply if they wanted to. <laughs> yeah, but there was but... no way they were getting an interview. <laughs> exactly. But they weren't getting the job, as far as I can tell. So I thought we'll hear a bit about the Pierpoint executioners. The dynasty. The dynasty, what do you think? As I say, lots of lawful killings. Yeah. Which nowadays we would say, no, sir. Well, we would say they're still lawful if it is enshrined yeah. in law. But, but the law of this probably country is ethically dubious. turned away from it, yeah. Well, yeah, in most places. Apart from certain Bloody members of the Tory Lee party. Lee watches face, yeah. <laughs> so I thought we'd start with Henry. He was the first to enter the family business. Right. Henry Pierpoint was born in 1877 and he grew up with his brother Thomas around Nottinghamshire and Bradford. Henry worked as a hangman between 1901 and 1910. Okay. He gained the position after repeatedly writing to the Home Office <laughs> to request that he would be a hangman. <laughs> please, please let me be a hangman. I mean, I suppose it's better that he puts his uh, efforts into legally killing people. Well, he had that much desire to, you know, serve justice in that way. Why do you I'd think, be concerned. Why do you think people did apply? Because apparently there was no shortage. Well, I mean, so every I, time... I can understand why you might apply if you needed a job, but to repeatedly petition the Home Office for that particular position <laughs> seems they, to me that you've got most issues. Most people who did it did it as like a side job, basically. Oh, really? So you weren't, you know, you weren't day in, day out doing the hangings unless you were Albert Pierpoint. Just, just on the weekends. Was. So you would do it as a kind of sideline. Wow. Why do you think people might apply? Well, because there's something within them that they enjoy the power that it gives them. They have a morbid, I don't know. You can think only of sinister reasons. Well, yeah, I suppose so. Well, you're saying that, that they could be true and just. And well, I wonder. I wonder if have some a desire people... to fulfil the Yeah, some people saw, the land. It, saw it as being you'd be administering justice, perhaps. Maybe. Rather than particularly loving the Even thought then, of killing people. I'm suspicious of anybody who wants to administer justice. I know. it's, <laughs> um, And also, it, it wasn't badly paid. Right. So okay. there's that to consider right, as okay. well. So if you're like, I don't know, an abattoir man, you know, it's only a short <laughs> step, isn't it, to then uh, being a hangman, and it's probably much better paid. Yeah. That's career progression. Well, quite. So you basically you had to you had to write in and say I'd really like to be a hangman. And then... Did Jim? <laughs> Please, could you fix it for me? God, Jim probably could have. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happened was eventually they would accept you, and you would be added to a list of official executioners right. that the Home Office held. Like checker trade. Yeah, I guess so. And then that list was available to under sheriffs and governors 
when a death sentence was passed down in their county. So say Frederick C. Kings gets sentenced to death, the governor of Huntingdonshire or of Cambridgeshire would go, right, I need to get my list out. Who's yep. approved? Yep. And they would find. I'm thinking you're going to find someone reasonably local because they had to pay travel costs. expenses. Yeah, you don't want to be putting them up overnight, do you? No, and you have to pay for a hangman plus an assistant hangman. Right. So for each for each execution, like an understudy. Yeah, you get you have two, the chief and the and the assistant, and so they just they just can choose then from yeah. the list. I guess the governor has their favourites after a while, don't they? Probably. You know, yeah, someone point did a clean job. Exactly. You know. Exactly. And you do a few days of training where you learn about. Practicing with weighted bags and all that kind of thing. Well, you can't tie the knot correctly on a weighted bag, though, can you? My understanding is the real skill of a handman is the ability to tie the hangman's knot properly. I think the knot is one skill, but I think working out the drop is another. Right. So you need to know the weight and the height. Exactly, so maths gets involved. Oh, Rishi Sunak would be proud. (laughs) He sure would. You could set it as a maths challenge, couldn't you? Your (laughs) man to be executed weighs... Albert Burton uh, is 13 stone. Nine and a half stone, and he's this tall. How much rope do you need? Yeah. How far <laughs> yeah. must he fall? It's not funny. It's good job so Katie's not here. It was quite a, it was quite a sought-after role, and each vacancy received a slew of applications. It wasn't too badly paid, but it seems like inflation wasn't taken into account for a long time. So from the 1880s to the 1940s, the primary hangman was paid £10. Right. Per job. Per hanging, and yeah. their assistant was paid three guineas. Okay. What if you had a couple of hangings on the same day? Well, bonza. Right, okay, then you would be you yeah. would pay double. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah. Um, so here's a sort of, I tried to work out some Do comparisons. Some maths, yeah. The conversion thing I saw said that £10 in 1900 is around £1,200 today. But I think a more useful metric is maybe that the census of 1901 records that average income per head... Mm in 1901 was £42.70. A year? A year. Right. So actually, wow. if, you're earning, Very well paid, if you're earning £10 a hanging, yeah. then you're... You're living like a lord. Yeah, you're, that's a, a nice income for you and maybe you don't need to do too much other work as well. Travel costs were reimbursed, as I say. In the late 1940s, the fee per hanging was increased to £15. Oh, wow. Well, okay. I think that's a recognition. They haven't increased it for fucking well, years. Well, sure, yes, yeah. But I presume that's, you know, 50 years later, isn't it? You've got to whack it up. Yeah. So that's a big increase. And, and there's probably more, um, you know, social stigma around that time as well. So it's becoming a, a bit more like danger money, isn't it? Successful applicants also had to sign the Official Secrets Act. Right. And they were forbidden to disclose any details of what occurred in the execution chamber, in particular to people like the press. In past episodes, we've talked a lot about historic murders and often and we've had the kind of incidences of public hangings. Mm. So William Corder, William Sheward were publicly executed. Public hangings were actually ceased in 1868. Civilised. So after 1868, you would be... All behind closed doors. All behind closed doors. Although I think people could attend, like family members of victims and things like that could attend, but the kind of whole, the like the baying mob Yeah, they weren't allowed. And that that whole thing we talked about of, you know, fancy ladies coming down from London to witness the hangings and all the little souvenirs that got made commemorating these occasions. The whole industry was in tatters. That was all off off the table. For the better, I'd say. (laughs) Back to Henry, Henry Pierpoint. His time as a hangman, was cut short by his heavy drinking. <laughs> did, particular... did, he, did he bodge a job? <laughs> he didn't bodge a job. But you don't want the heads was... to come off, I understand. Oh, God. That's if... really bodging the job. 
Yeah, because what? Because you've because you've miscalculated the drop. Christ, I guess horrible. It's really a horrible way of executing people, isn't it? I mean, every way is horrible. But I mean, I suppose the thinking was at the time it was quick, basically. Wasn't if you it? do it if right, you, if you do it right, it's you quick. Break the neck. Yeah, yeah. Not like in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, where, <laughs> oh, they... where poor uh, Christian Slater's just hanging, strangling. Exactly, they're just strangling them, aren't they? Yeah. And then little John has to come and lean on the gallows and sends it sideways. Do you remember? Vaguely, yes. <laughs> I feel like as a child, that was my introduction to the world of hanging. <laughs> was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. But it's okay because no one dies. Right, yeah. It's a PG. Well, Rickman dies later, doesn't he? Does he? I was going to say, does he fall out of a window? But that's die hard <laughs> in my mind. As he fell, he was wearing his Sheriff of Nottingham outfit. <laughs> That's, I, that's why memory plays tricks on you. I can't remember how he dies in You've conflated too. Yeah. I didn't I didn't remember that he did die, actually. But He must die. Well, isn't he just humiliated? No, he definitely is. He okay. dies. Robin Hood probably kills him. Does he go on fire? The witch goes on fire. Anyway, I digress. So Henry, he turned up drunk the day before an execution in Chelmsford and then had a fight with his designated assistant. Being drunk the day before, I was going to say, there's not a problem with that, surely. The fighting, though. Yeah, the fighting, okay. Not very professional, is no. it? You want to conduct yourself with dignity, I think. Yeah, not, doing, not doing a hanging hungover. The incident was reported to the Home Office and Henry was quietly removed from the approved list of hangmen. Oh, did, but they probably didn't tell him. Just he stopped getting the calls. I don't know. Maybe. During Henry's career, he assisted with 35 hangings and was principal executioner on 70. That sounds like a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. But you're going to see that that's not a lot. Oh, God. <laughs> Before we hear about Thomas Pierpoint, shall we try your next beer? Oh, yeah, sure. Because we okay. finished our beers. Again, continuing with the theme of not really being able to find anything that was directly <laughs> related to what we got. This is called uh, Deep in the Woods. Ooh. And I kind of recognised it because it, it appears to be a promotional beer, which, as I read off the can, was released to celebrate the triple album Deep in the Woods, Pastoral Psychedelia and Funky Folk, 1968 to 1973. Do you, are you familiar which, with um, that? I remember, uh, well, I think originally came out in the old days and got reissued a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Um, and there seems to have been a beer brewed to help celebrate it from the uh, from the Verdant Brewery. What's the genre again? Psychedelic, psychedelic folk. Chris loves psychedelic folk. Would you say it was your most favourite of all um, genres? I suppose it probably is, uh, you know. It's high up there. It's high up there, yeah. It's a pale ale again, only 5% this time. It looks hazy. Yeah, it does look hazy, isn't it? I don't think it's uh, specifically sold as a New England IPA, traditionally the hazier of the... Uh... Oh, it's quite tangy earthy i'd say well that's because it's for the woods yeah, i suppose so it is yes. <laughs> it's a beer for the woods mm, tangy and earthy let's drink this second beer and now we can hear about thomas pierpoint it was henry who persuaded his older brother thomas to apply for the role as well right okay he said it's going great this was before <laughs> he got sacked thomas joined the home office list in 1906 he worked as a hangman for 40 years up until 1946 by this point he was in his mid-70s wow so you could just keep going. I guess so, because you're not doing anything too physical, are you, I don't suppose? No. You're not having to like, hoik, the, hoik the someone murderer. onto the, you know. I wouldn't have thought so. I don't really know. I didn't want to look into the actual mechanics of it too mechanics. much. Yeah. The execution of Frederick Seekings in Cambridge, therefore, in 1913, was relatively towards the beginning of his career as an executioner. Right. A relatively early one for him. And he never officially retired, but the invitations to act as principal hangman just stopped coming in. Probably people saw how old he was. It's like being an actor, isn't it? They just stopped coming. Yeah. You just stopped getting those All invitations. Sudden, no, no calls back anymore. By 1946, Thomas P., as I like to call him, Thomas Pierpoint, had executed almost 300 people. Wow. Just over 200 were civilians and the rest were military personnel in the UK and abroad. Was that a specialism then? Well, if you think about the time, 
so, oh, deserters. And also, we'll hear a bit more with Albert, but the British were executing some war criminals as well. Oh, I see, right. Um, yeah. Abroad. So so Thomas P kind of missed out on the bonanza of Nazi war, war criminals, but he probably got in some earlier First World War right. problems. Proto-Nazis. Yeah. So now to Albert Pierpoint, the busiest and most prolific of the lot. Have you heard of him before? There was some mention of him, it wasn't there, in a previous podcast that we had done, I think. He's well known for working as executioner on a number of high-profile and some controversial cases. He wrote some memoirs which were published in 1974 titled Executioner Pierpoint and he was played in a film in 2005 by Timothy Spall. Ah, okay. So what I was think the film called? Pierpoint. Oh. <laughs> Not Executioner Pierpoint. But that was sort of, to some extent, sort of based on the memoirs. Right, right. Um, and things like that. But I haven't seen it. No, can't go wrong with uh, Tim Spall, though, can He's you? pretty good usually, yeah. isn't he? But the subject matter, I suppose, is a bit grim. I can see him kind of huffing his way through it. <laughs> it's before he lost all the weight. Right. Now, in addition to being a hangman, he also ran a pub oh. in Oldham, Lancashire. Right. And the pub was called Help the Poor Struggler. Mm, as in... A struggler? No, okay. I'm trying to. Work no, out I a thought it reference. was a sort of um, like a Christian thing. Oh, Help the okay. poor struggler. I was imagining a man struggling at the end of a rope. God, maybe it was a double meaning for him. <laughs> it reminded me of Let the Children Live. <laughs> Your favourite shop. We might have we talked about Let the Children Live Probably. before? It's a shop in Walsingham, Walsham in Norfolk. A charity shop, I guess. A charity shop called yeah. Let the Children Live, but we just find the name funny, don't we? Because we'd rather the children didn't live. Oh, no. <laughs> I just feel like it almost goes without saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I don't know. It's just a funny phrase. Oh, no, let the children live. And I feel like it has an exclamation mark at the end, but it might not. But (laughs) you have to kind of say it with an exclamation mark at the end. Let the children live. Let them live, for God's sake. So, Pierpoint, Help the Poor Struggler, that was his pub. But mainly what he was doing was hanging people. Yeah, yeah. One of the cases where it wasn't a well-known person, but one of the people he hung was a regular in his pub. Really? And he ended up being the executioner. I was going to say, when the when the worlds meet, you just imagine the tales that would probably be telling in that pub yeah. around closing time. I know. Albert's ambition from a young age was to follow in the footsteps of his father, Henry, and his uncle, mm. Thomas. Henry Pierpoint had written some memoirs that were published in a newspaper when Albert was 11 and Albert read those and he was like, this sounds great. (laughs) What a a great man my dad is to have hung all these people. But it wasn't until 1932, at the age of 27, that Albert was successful in his bid. Was he also very persistent in his letter writing? I think I get that impression. You have to do a lot of letter writing. And he became, of course, at first an assistant executioner. Of course. Learn the ropes. <laughs> uh, with Her Majesty's prison service. Is that where it comes from? I don't from? know. I just, no, that's probably a, a, a nautical thing, isn't Learn it? Learn the ropes. Thought. So on his first job, he actually acted as, as assistant to his Uncle Tom. Ah, and Uncle Tom was... wasn't too drunk to uh, do the job. Uncle Tom was never drunk. Oh, okay. Sorry. Only Daddy Henry was drunk. Uncle Tom not drunk. Yeah. Uncle Tom took him to Dublin and this was for the execution of a young Irish farmer who'd murdered his brother. Thomas would assist his uncle on several other jobs and it seems that Albert was impressed by Tom's dignified and discreet approach to his work, quite unlike that of Henry. And apparently one piece of advice that um, Thomas gave to his nephew was, if you can't do it without whiskey, don't do it at all. Right. The implication that maybe Henry had actually yeah. found it quite a difficult job. Softened the blow through booze. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But Thomas and Albert saw it strictly professional. We've got a job to do. Mm-hmm. We'll do the job. We'll take the cash, no problem. In 1941, Albert was promoted to lead executioner. He was still young, just mid-30s. Right. 
quite young for such a job, don't mm. you think? Well, yeah, I suppose so. I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah. His first job in the new role was the hanging of gangster Antonio Babe Mancini. <laughs> From this point on, it was a busy time for Pierpoint. He travelled to Germany at the end of World War II to execute Nazi war criminals. Wow. There was... Uh, Still, at that point, done by hanging. Yeah. You thought by this time you might have, you know, lethal injections or... Uh... Well, I suppose different countries had different yeah. methods, didn't they? The firing squad was popular in the military. Right. Probably the US bought the electric chair over. Yeah. So there was a, a prison in Germany called Hamlin Prison. Right. And that was used by the Germans through the war to house prisoners. But at the end of the war... The British took it over and it was then used to keep Nazi right. war criminals. Right. At Hamlin Prison, Pierpoint executed 201 oh people, mostly for war crimes and some for breaking the laws of occupation. Goodness knows how severe you had to break the laws of occupation to be yeah. hung. Well, it, I suppose it was regarded as treason. Yeah, I suppose so. So the punishment was very severe, wasn't it? Yeah, because wasn't weirdly treason still punishable by hanging in the Quite UK? recently. Yeah, and long after, basically, you wouldn't be hung for anything else. Yeah, or I think it was it was considered as bad as murder. Right. It was as a higher level. Treason on Her Majesty's Dockyard or something, I think. Right. Considered a, yeah. um, also, interestingly, I think saying Thomas executed around 100 military people and Albert helped with some of these, and some of those were American soldiers on American barracks right. who who had been convicted of rape oh, and under American law rape was punishable by death even though in England it wasn't a capital offence right, right. but for America it was still a capital offence and because they were in American barracks they brought in Thomas and Albert Pierpoint to carry out the executions right. for those sentences. Wow. Around this time Albert also hanged those found guilty of treason in the UK still it's the war time you know the shadow of war paranoia across the land including William Joyce who was better known as Lord Haw Haw. Oh, yeah. In 1946. Radio Ham, Lord Haw Haw. Do, I don't know so much about Lord Haw Haw. Did he do so? He did some pro Nazi broadcasts. Yes, he, he did, it was, I suppose, pirate radio broadcast, right. wasn't it, where he took on this character, Lord Haw Haw. Other famous cases, you'll recognise some of these names. John Haig, do you know him? No. The Acid Bath Murderer. Ah, uh, right. A British serial killer. He was convicted of the murder of six people whose bodies he then dissolved in acid. He was executed in 1949. Right. Timothy Evans. No. He was a 25-year-old man with an estimated mental age of a 10-year-old. Right. Timothy Evans was arrested and found guilty of the murder of his wife and daughter in their flat at 10 Rillington Place in London. Oh, Rillington Place, yes, okay. Basically... Timothy Evans was hanged in 1950 mm -hmm. by Albert Pierpoint. Three years later, John Christie, who lived in the downstairs flat at yes. 10 Rillington Place, was found guilty yes. of the murder of several women, including the wife of Timothy Evans. Right. Although John Christie never admitted to killing Evans's daughter. But I don't suppose there's any reason to believe that he killed he the wife and not no. the daughter, really, um, having Tim done Roth these. Yeah, the Tim Roth played yeah. in, the, in the... So this was a... Um, Did he hang John Christie too? He hung John Christie too, <sighs> yeah, 1953. It's like collecting a set. I know. Um, so that was a case when, you know, I think people at the time felt like it might have been a miscarriage of justice. Right, yeah. When yeah. Timothy Evans was so executed. So it was the start of beginning to think, is this hanging yeah. really... And then obviously when, when John Christie was discovered three years later to have actually been a serial killer, including Timothy Evans' wife, people were like, shit. This is a clear case where we've yeah. executed an innocent yeah. man yeah. for something and that he didn't do. An innocent man with learning difficulties, isn't that? Yeah, exactly. That brought about a lot of debate about the use of the death penalty in Britain. 
Just a few months before Christie was hanged, Pierpoint um, was involved in another controversial execution, that of 19-year-old Derek Bentley. Oh, let him have it. Let him have it. Tell us about this case, what uh, you know. He, with an associate, killed a policeman, I think, mm. didn't he? And the defence was from his elder partner that when he told let him have it, Mm. he meant give the policeman the gun. Yeah. But in reality, he shot him. He shot him. So yes, this was a case of Derek Bentley and Christopher Craig. Derek Bentley was 19, Christopher Craig was 16, and they'd shot and killed a policeman. Just before the shooting, Bentley uttered the much-discussed words, let him have it, Chris, Mm. and whether this referred to handing over the gun or shooting the policeman. was Also a film. Also a film with uh, Christopher Eccleston. Bentley had said the words, let him have it. Although he didn't shoot the policeman, he was found guilty under the law of joint enterprise. Yes, and also because uh, the other one was too young, I think, wasn't he? 16, the other one was, yeah. So, And that was another controversial case. So there were a lot of... They're stacking up, aren't they? There there was a lot of kind of discussion of, of, of actually, maybe this isn't really a very effective means of justice because there is a potential, obviously, for executing innocent Mm. people. Plus, there's still shitloads of murders going on. It's obviously not a deterrent, is it? No. No, no, sorry. I I thought that was a rhetorical question. I didn't think you needed me to give an answer. (laughs) Another case towards the end of Albert Pierpoint's career was Ruth Ellis. Oh, I was just going to say, is it Ruth Ellis? This is all of the uh, classic... The hits. Like, like, uh, <laughs> Sorry, not hits. Channel 4 produced films in the early 90s, Dance of a Stranger, starring Miranda Richardson as Ruth Ellis. I don't know about this oh, Ruth Ellis not? film, oh, okay. no. I, I remember seeing it at around a similar time to Let Him Have It, so oh, my mind okay. to her thinks, but yeah. Okay. Ruth Ellis was the last woman to be hanged yeah. in Britain. I, did, well, I didn't know about this case before I read about I mean, this. I, I only really remember her name in the film Dance okay. of a Stranger. I can be able to tell you what it was that she'd actually done. Murder, this was presumably. 1955. Yeah. Ellis, after days of sleeplessness and under the influence of perno and tranquilizers, shot her yeah. abusive boyfriend four right. times. Right. So she was basically, he was a, a terrible boyfriend and a terrible person and, and was very abusive to her. And I think that she uh, was in a kind of drug fueled frenzy of um, jealousy and misery and yeah shot her boyfriend he was a race car driver and that again was I mean there was no question that she'd had shot him but I think again there was a feeling of should this have been a capital a capital punishment whether extenuating circumstances yeah two weeks after hanging Ruth Ellis Pierpoint hung a man named Norman Green he'd confessed to killing two boys in the Wigan area following the Norman Green case Pierpoint resigned he was 50 years old. Through his career, he had carried out between 435 and 600 hangings. Thanks. He, as I say, also owned a pub, which he kept. <laughs> <laughs> he just kept running the pub after that, just kept being the pub landlord of uh, Help the Poor Struggler. I think so. It did. Right. It, I think it did up and at least fairly recently, because I found a picture of it from kind of the 90s. Right, right. Still with the same name or renamed? Still the same name, still the same name. What, I imagine a ghoulish uh, tourist attraction that will become. There were only another 35 hangings in the UK after Pierpoint resigned. no Pierpoint was involved? No Pierpoint further involvement. No, you'd like to go out as being like the last hangman, wouldn't you? Well, he hung the last woman. I suppose he was the last kind of big name. I guess at the time, the names were unknown, weren't they? I mean, it's not like he was a local because he couldn't discuss it. I read a book, a fictional book. I think it was called A Perfect Execution by the author Tim Binding, which was about, I think, The Last Hangman in England. And I think okay. there was a whole thing that their names were never published. Oh, well, actually, maybe that would make sense. But it was fiction, and I read it probably 30 years ago. Mm. So. so I think that the reason he's become so well-known is because of the memoirs. Right. 
Right. And because obviously he was the dynasty, it was so and so many high profile cases that people yeah, yeah. already were really familiar with from you know huge amounts of press coverage yeah. um, and debate subsequently around them. Only hangman with an IMDb page, I bet. <laughs> Probably. There were only to be another thirty five hangings after his retirement. The last people to be hung in the UK were Gwyn Evans and Peter Allen, two friends who had bludgeoned and stabbed a third friend, John West, to death in Cumbria. John West Desperado. <laughs> John West Tuna Merchants. They were executed in August 1964 and the death sentence was abolished the following year. And it was actually initially, it was something strange, like they did a sort of a five-year thing where they said, we're sort of trialling, not having <laughs> trialing, the death penalty, basically. Um, and at the end of that five-year period, it was made um, right. into a permanent law. Presumably, like you said, somebody was sat there looking at the statistics and going, you know what, it isn't really that it's much of a deterrent. fucking working. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the difference between this five years when we had hanging and this five years where we tried not having it. And I think also, obviously, DNA didn't come in until kind of 90s and things, but there was a much better chance of finding miscarriages of justice, I think. So as police right, yeah, work yeah. and scientific forensic evidence improved, actually they were looking back and going, uh actually now we can see that this person was not the person that was guilty of what they were executed for. And, you know, you'd think that that would... There's been so many cases in the United States where DNA mm. evidence latterly has proved that people on, say, yeah, death row yeah. or even people that have already been executed did not do the thing that they've been found guilty of. Yeah. And yet they persist with the death sentence, which is insane to me. But there we are. I'm glad we don't have it here anymore. During we can his... just laugh about hanging. Oh, dear. <laughs> I know. Terrible. During his career, it seems that Pierpoint did see his work as important and worthwhile. And he said later that he saw that he thought he was sort of carrying out a vital function of the law. Mm. This, you know, somebody has to do this job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's and, in a way putting himself on the line as being yeah, the person exactly. who Yeah, exactly. So mind he's doing like, it. I take the responsibility yeah. on of doing this very important vital function of the law. However, in his autobiography, he seemed to take a slightly different perspective and this is a quote hanging is said to be a deterrent i cannot agree there have been murders since the beginning of time and we shall go on looking for deterrence until the end of time if death were a deterrent i might be expected to know it is i who have faced them last young lads and girls working men grandmothers i have been amazed to see the courage with which they take that walk into the unknown it did not deter them then, and it had not deterred them when they committed what they were convicted for. All the men and women who I have faced at that final moment convinced me that in what I have done, I have not prevented a single murder. Oh dear. But some would argue that even if it's not a deterrent, it is a form of justice. And I suppose that's why it went on for so long being part of the law in this country. Mm. And then in later interviews, he seemed a bit more ambivalent. Again, he was like, well, maybe it's... <laughs> maybe Sounds we to need me it. like a, uh, a very conflicted person. Well, it's a, it's a conflicting sort of a scenario, isn't it? <laughs> I just thought it was a really interesting insight because we usually look at the... We look at the murderers and we don't think about the executioners um, no. of the past. There they are. And the fact that he essentially became a, a celebrity is too strong a word, but that he was became famous for... Yeah, or infamous. Infamous for this um, very strange job. There you are. Astonishing. That's the story. It ends on a sombre note, doesn't it? It does, yeah. I so don't often they end on a, So often they end on a sombre note. Well, we can't respond with any more talk of convergence evolution. Let's never mention it again. We've proved I know nothing about that. But we can end it by saying that we have a very fun few 
episodes lined up for the coming months. We've got a schedule, haven't we? Yep. We're unusually organised yep. this year. So the next episode, we are going to have a new guest, which is very exciting. And we're also going to be looking at, I would say, one of the most famous cases of hauntings in the UK. So uh, that's very exciting. Um, and then we have some other fun stuff coming up after that. So why not listen? Why not follow? Do the following thing. Click on the follow button and then you'll be sure to hear every episode. And do share with any friends who you think will enjoy hearing stories about executioners. <laughs> we all have one. <laughs> um, we, we have more than one. We have more than one. Um, okay, and thanks for the beers, Chris. You're welcome. Anytime. They were pale and hazy. <laughs> And thanks for listening. Uh, and as I say, we'll be back next time with the first of a two-parter on a uh, very interesting case. Thank you. That's been Ruth is Stranger Than Fiction. Goodbye. <laughs>